Happy New Year, y'all. You know, we print those assurance of pardons on the back of the bulletins uh, because too often when we look at Scripture, when different people look at Scripture, they think that Scripture only holds condemnation for them. They think that Scripture is only going to tell them how bad they are or how they're falling short. But there's a lot more in the Bible than just condemnation. In fact, I don't think there's any condemnation in there for us. There are words of forgiveness and hope, words that remind us of our value and our worth. And so that's why we print those on the back of the bulletins so that you can take those words home with you and you can remind yourself throughout the week that there are words in scripture that assure you over and over again that not only are you loved, not only were you created, but that you are forgiven. And I am forgiven too. I used to have a woman in a congregation who used to cut out all of the assurance of pardons and she would put them in one of those clear slips on top of her desk, like what are those called, like the desk protector things? And she would put them all under there so that she could look and remind herself of the many, many ways that scripture told her that she was forgiven. I had another woman who would cut them out and stick them on her car for the day so that as she's driving, she could see how she was forgiven. Yeah, it did say something about her driving too. We, we encourage you to do the same thing. Do not ever forget. Don't forget that you're loved and never forget that you are forgiven. And with that, we're gonna turn to Matthew 2, verses one through 12. These are some really, 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 really familiar words for you. If you have been around the church at all for any period of time, guarantee you have heard this story. And maybe even if you haven't been around the church, you might have heard about uh, a story of three wise men. That's what we're talking about today. It's important in order to understand the three wise men, you have to understand a little bit about King Herod. King Herod was uh, one of the most violently recorded kings of ancient times. It's funny because he wasn't actually a king. He was a vassal king. That meant that he um, was set in place there, I think it was by Octavius Caesar Augustus. Uh, He was put in place and had to answer to Caesar. He didn't have any real authority, but he was put there because he had a close affiliation with the Jews. He wasn't a Jewish person, but he sort of affiliated with them. So uh, Caesar thought that they would listen to Herod. And so that's why he was in this vassal king position. And he killed his brothers to get this position. He killed all of his sons. He was the most violent man that that time had ever seen. He was wholly unstable. And so in order to understand this and in order to understand a bit about where the wise men or the wise people were going, not even wise people, we're going to talk about that later, you need to understand what they were up against and what Jerusalem was up against. Who was calling the shots for them? So keeping that in mind, let's go to Matthew 2 verses 1 through 12. This comes right after, um, this is after Joseph's dream. So remember, we've been in Luke all of last year following, and we sort of ended with Mary's side of the story and Mary seeing Elizabeth and, you know, coming to um, the birth of Jesus with all of this history behind it. But remember for Joseph, this was a little bit more than a dream and a shot in the dark, right? And so for, no pun intended there either. Uh, so he, he, was, he was having this, this moment, Jesus is born, he has this name Jesus, and then all of a sudden we're here. All of a sudden we're to the part where people are journeying to see Jesus. There's probably about a two or three year gap in between those two. All right. Let's come back to this. 
After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born the king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. They say that to King Herod. The same King Herod who killed all his brothers and his sons, just highlight that. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, bit of an understatement, and all of Jerusalem with him. That shows how disturbed King Herod was that all of Jerusalem was disturbed because King Herod was disturbed. He let people know. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem and Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out, uh, yeah, no, that's right. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so I too may go and worship him. Yeah, right. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, They saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented them with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Friends, if you will, please bow your hearts and minds with me, but also open your hearts and minds with me as we pray. Almighty Lord, as we start this new calendar year, we want to start it with you, looking at your face, seeking your heart, knowing your will, following in your steps. We pray, God, that as we approach scripture now and as we seek to understand your truth, that we will let the distractions, the worries, the fears, the anxieties fall away And that as we breathe out all of the things that bind us, that in in its place we will breathe in your peace. We pray, God, that we will be people who in this time are wholeheartedly committed to you. We pray, God, that we will be people who in this time give all that we have and all that we are into your hands with expectation and hope that comes with the coming resurrection. Though we are imperfect, God, may your perfection still be known. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So friends, today we are celebrating Epiphany, which literally means a striking appearance. So that is to say that today we are celebrating the striking appearance of a baby in a manger, the striking appearance of the almighty God wearing human skin, the striking appearance of forgiveness being present in the midst of our brokenness, of love being in the midst of our shame and defensiveness, 
Today, we are called to celebrate the striking appearance of wise travelers who were following a star. And we are celebrating that striking appearance of God being on earth. And friends, that is really the hardest challenge of Christmas every time that it comes in the calendar year. Every time that we as Christians approach Christmas, the hardest thing for us is to remember just how striking it is that God came on earth and that God still dwells on this earth through the movement of the Holy Spirit, through the movement of the Holy Spirit through us. It is hard to remember how striking it is that the infinite once became finite. It is striking, hard to remember how striking it is that it is through foolish people, through scandalous people, through in illegitimate people that God chooses to bring good news into the world, into a world of darkness and of hurt. It is through these people who are scandalous and brushed aside through the illegitimacy that was characterizing Jesus' birth. It is through that that Jesus and God told us that there is good news to be had. Friends, the greatest challenge of Christmas is to remember that God didn't just come into earth as Jesus Christ simply for like a vacation, like he wanted a little bit of like a, a break, like he went to Cabo for a week, but that God came to really be with you and with me, to know the experience of humanity in all of its fullness and all of its depth. At Epiphany, we remember the long journey of people who are commonly referred to as wise men. And because this story is told year after year, there have been a lot of opinions on who the wise men were and why they, what they were intending to do. Some call them magi, like our scripture translation for today. Some call them the three kings, although there's nothing in scripture that says that there were three of them or that they were kings. Some call them astrologers because they were reading the stars. That's probably the most accurate of any of them. We don't actually know what their titles were on their resumes, but we know one thing is for sure. These wise men were strangers. They didn't get started on their journey because their friends told them to go see this great man who was doing miracles and preaching with conviction and collecting this great following. None of that had happened yet. And they didn't travel to the desert so that they could be a part of that movement that was catching like wildfire because that hadn't happened yet either. And they didn't carry those heavy gifts. Remember, they didn't have canvas and luggage. Those things were made out of wood, big boxes of wood. They didn't carry those things all the way across the desert because Mary had written to them and said, you know what, I really couldn't find it. The locals' babies are us is some frankincense. Could you bring me some? They didn't know Mary. They were strangers. The wise men left the security of their homes and their country. They left the familiarity of their culture for a stranger's house that was in the middle of a strange desert because of something they didn't expect to change actually changed. It was the star in the sky, this new creation, this new light that was shining out of a dark corner of the universe. 
And rather than staying in their studies and hypothesizing about how that happened, or rather than gathering around the conference table and arguing about how long is this actually going to last, and rather than bickering with one another and saying, no, I saw it first, no, I saw it first, no, I saw it first, what they did instead was go. Instead of sitting around talking about it, they chose to go and see it for themselves. So these strangers, they traveled across the world as they knew it to request an audience with one of the most violent rulers of their time, Herod the Great, in order to ask him where the king of the Jews will be born. Hey, you know who else, who else had that title, king of the Jews? King Herod. How would you like it if someone came up to you and said, I wonder where that, can you tell me where that new associate pastor for community development and outreach is? And be like, I thought it was me, but apparently it's not anymore, right? It's a good way to know your time has come. The three wise men, they came and they asked an unstable and a reckless king, king of the Jews, where they could find the real king of the Jews. And as Herod stood there shaking in the terror of losing his crown that he had killed so much to receive, and as all of Jerusalem stood shaking in terror, wondering what Herod was going to do, the wise men saw all of that and they kept on going. They didn't let it stop them. And they kept going all the way to the tiny feet of a baby that was in the arms of his manger, maybe a toddler, arms of a manger, arms of his mother. And even though they were experts in the stars and even though they were mysteries, uh, they were experts in the mysteries of space, they instead chose to look down from the sky and to ponder the face of an infant, of one tiny life. And they allowed themselves to be overcome by something that they didn't understand, that they couldn't have understood. Even as they were overcome by it, they started kneeling down at the feet of a child who didn't care so much about the gold and the frankincense and the myrrh as much as he cared about the boxes that they were brought in. And then after they did all of that, they just turned around and they went home. The interesting thing is that scripture says that they didn't go back home the way that they came. It's sort of this little throwaway line, but it changes the whole passage. Even though the road that they had used to get there was now a familiar road, no longer holding surprises, no longer mysterious with the obstacles that were there, they chose to take a different road back, a road that they had never taken before, a road that was, less, was, was going to be scary and dangerous First and foremost, because it was unknown. Because back then, remember, the unknown roads were the roads where all of the robbers were. They were the roads that were the most treacherous. That's why they were unknown. It was a road that was scary because it was unknown. So then scripture says that they went home by another way. Because the road that they did know, the road that was familiar, turns out that road was no longer safe. The way that they came, even though it was familiar, now held more danger than the surprise of the unknown. So going back the way of Herod was going to mean death for them, was going to mean death for that baby, 
But they had no way of knowing either of those things at the time. They didn't know it, but it turned out that repeating what they already knew was going to harm them and was going to harm others. Perhaps even do them more harm than attempting this journey into unknown obstacles and travels. And so they went home another way. I want you to notice with me that the Bible never refers to the Magi as wise. The people that go on that journey are never given the description of having wisdom. We as readers over the centuries, we are the ones who have given them that title of the wise men. And we have given them that title because of the first line in our passage and because of the last line in our passage. Because of the first line that says that they left their desks to experience that star for themselves, to question, to be curious, to go for adventure, to expect that there's going to be something at the end of that adventure. That's the first half of it. The second half of why they are wise is because of this last line because they went home another way, because they acted in faith, because they trusted their dream, because they listened to God instead of listening to the worldly wisdom that said, take the route you know, stick with what you do best, go with the route that you know is the safest route. It's because they ignored that that we call them wise. It's funny, isn't it, that after all of this time, 2,000 years of Christianity being the dominant religion within our society, that uh, belief of taking the safest route, that's still considered to be wisdom in our society today, right? The belief that what we know is better than what we don't know, and we have all of these fun sayings for this, right? Like, better the devil you do than the devil you don't. Never understood where that came from. Why would you want to know a devil anyway? Or the, uh, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Or um, no need to reinvent the wheel. That one's my favorite. Can you imagine if we hadn't reinvented the wheel, what our lives would look like today? Like when we go to our cars and we kick the tires, we kick like some redwood, you know, and it's a big thud. Or it's like, hey, nice Tesla there, Ralph. What are those tires, limestone? No, of course, they're quartz. You know, like that, that's not a thing that what happens if we hadn't reinvented the wheel. It's crazy. Could you imagine what our world would be like today if we had somehow said that tires were the epitome of, of technology and so we never imagined flying over oceans in multi-ton steel tubes And we never imagined taking ships, multi-ton ships floating over the water. Could you imagine? One of my favorite quotes is from General Colin Powell. He says this, he says, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, is the slogan of the complacent, the arrogant, or the scared. It's an excuse for for inaction and a call to non-arms. All too often, particularly in the church, we are encouraged to repeat what we have done in the past. All too often, particularly in the church, we are discouraged from trying to do something that is unknown to us, where we don't have certainty about the outcomes. And yet, all too often, 
Scripture tells us stories about people who are resolutely and faithfully standing with their faces in the wind, with their backs to the crowd, with the faith that what is to come ahead of us is going to be way better than what stands behind us. People like the prophets, like Elijah and Elisha and Amos, and people like the apostles, like Peter or like Mary Magdalene or James. People like Paul, who pointed to the temple of the unknown God in Athens and declared that he was the one who followed the unknown. People like Jesus himself who said, I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. And if something is fulfilled, then it's done and there's time for something new. People like the wise magi, who didn't wonder at what they saw from afar, but who had curiosity and questioning and who got up and who chased it, who didn't take the safe route back, but who went home another way, who were not repeating the things that were familiar and safe for them, but who followed by faith the calling that was whispering to them in their sleep. The reason we repeat this story year after year after year is to remind ourselves of what walking in faith looks like to remind ourselves that wise men can often be found in women and strangers and people that we don't understand at all. To remind ourselves that there are changes in life that need to be responded to like the wise men responded to the star by paying attention to the unexpected and by exploring its significance for ourselves. We read this story every year to look carefully at the things that we are not experts in. Like astrologers, we're examining the face of that baby. And by doing that so that we will not miss the almighty God who is there at our fingertips. We read this story time and time again so that we can steer ourselves and so that we can help steer one another home by a different road remembering that the paths that we have taken before might very well be the most dangerous if we take them again. Walking in faith, my friends, does not look like a well-planned route, which is why it's hard for us. Walking in faith doesn't look like a well-oiled machine. It looks like strange astrologers trekking through the desert, guided by a star, approaching evil kings, disrupting entire cities, just to kneel at the foot of an unknown child so that they could turn around and go home by yet another dangerous route. Acting in faith does not make us appear as though we know what we are doing, because if you're going in faith, you don't know what you're doing, because you're going by faith. But all the same, it is by this unplanned route that we are guaranteed that we will find Jesus. It is by taking that unplanned path, that dangerous path, that we are guaranteed that we will encounter Jesus' peace and his justice and his hope and more than all of it, his fulfillment. So the question is, my friends, what is the journey that we are planning for ourselves this year? This year, as we look ahead to 2019, 
are we planning on taking the journey that we have taken all of the years before? Are we planning on doing the things that are safe, that are known to us? Or are we taking the opportunity that we have to reassess, to reevaluate, to reconsider, or to consider anew, to look anew, to examine with fresh eyes the calling that we have on our lives before us because God is calling us. It might be in the quiet of our sleep. It might be in the silent pull of our hearts. The choice is ours. In order to help us, I'm gonna invite the pastors to come forward. In order to help us reconsider, we have these words that are written on stars. The leadership team for this service chose our stars before my star is dependent. Let me tell you, I am not happy about this star. I was sure that this star was intended for somebody else because I don't need to be dependent, I've got this. But turns out that because I hate this star, it will exist in my wallet for the next year and every time that I open it, I will look at it and go, oh, and then I'll pray. We invite you as you come up for communion to prayerfully consider taking a star and wondering how that one word can change your year. We're not saying this is going to be the be all end all of your life. We're not saying that this is going to send you out into some sort of great mystical experience of Jesus, but it might. All we're saying is that the power of one word is significant in our lives. We know that because the book of John says that Jesus is the word and that the word is, our, is life. So as you are invited to come forward to communion today, we invite you to come up in a spirit of prayer, of openness, of asking God to speak to you. And then after you take that dip of juice to choose a star and when you groan, don't trade it. <laughs> if you wanna negotiate with someone else, we can't stop you, but we would encourage you not to. Put it in your wallet, tape it to the visor of your car, carry it with you and wonder, ponder, journey into how that word and considering that word can pull you closer to God. Friends, please join me as we pray. God of hope and of life, we are grateful that you call us into each new day, that you call us into the experience of holding one another, journeying with one another, caring for one another, of responding to you, of knowing that you are continually calling and working with us, that we are never alone. We pray, God, that as we come into this time of communion, that we might be people who let the significance of the invitation change us. We pray, God, that we will be people who come knowing that we didn't earn our invitation, that we have nothing to negotiate with, that we are invited just because we are loved and because we are forgiven. Please open our hearts to you and show us the places that need more light and help us to be people who 
bring light into the hearts and places of other people's lives as well. In the same way that you take these things, this bread and juice, and mysteriously make it extraordinary in our journeys, may we also be taken as ordinary people and changed into an extraordinary presence of your spirit here on earth. This we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.